Okay, while you're finding Colossians 1, we just, uh, just for fun, and as, as Pastor Evan, I was out at Covenant Cedars this week. Our family went out there. Our oldest is working out there. We were invited to go and do a little teaching. I was to do a little teaching with some of the uh, seventh and eighth graders this week, and I love that age. It's just so fun. They're just a blast. So we had about 250 seventh and eighth graders. I only got one hour with them divided into four groups, so that's not bad, 45 to 60 kids at a time. That's, that'll keep you, keep you alive, I think. So that was fun. Um, it's better than coffee, that's for sure, and I'm, that's saying a lot because I love coffee. But what I want to do is I was talking about testimony with them, and so I want to give you a little of my testimony that I shared with them this morning. Some of you have heard it before, uh, but it relates to the text, and I thought, I think, nice. I know for, for myself, thinking through my own story of walking with Jesus, I really can't think of a time when I didn't know Jesus. I was introduced maybe five or six is when I was actually invited to say yes to Jesus by my dad. And I, I mean, thinking through that this week, I'm tremendously thankful for that invitation. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I had a family that raised me in the faith with Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for a church family. Many of you were part of that since I grew up here that let me know about Jesus early on and invited me into that story. And for most of those years growing up, I followed Jesus. It wasn't until I was 16 that we had a crisis within the family that caused a crisis of faith for me where I had to really own the faith myself. And at that point, I really had to ask the question, is this just the faith I've been given or do I actually believe it as my own? That doesn't discredit what was there. It means, do I actually, is this mine? Do I believe it? What do I believe more specifically? And I remember being launched into that at the age of about 15 or 16 and really wrestling through and starting to read, what am I supposed to believe? What do, what do we believe as, as those who follow Jesus? What do other religions believe? I, don't, I guess I don't know enough. And so I started reading up on that. And really the resolution to that story doesn't really come until about age 21 when I had I was almost done with my college experience studying theology, and it was at that point that God spoke in a way I'd never heard him speak before into my life, sitting in a dorm room, kind of dry by that point in my faith, figuring it all out. And Jesus gave me an invitation, much like uh, the invitation he gives to his disciples when they encounter him in John chapter 1. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, come and you will see. And that's the invitation I was given, and my life has never been the same since. I'm not saying I wasn't saved prior to that. I'm just saying that by that point, I had owned it. By that point, God had spoken in and said, you've given me a part of you, but I want all of you, and I want all of you now. And I said, yes. And my life has never been the same since, and I'm so thankful. What I recognize as I've lived out that faith since that point is that value, meaning, and purpose our true value, meaning, and purpose are found only in Jesus, and I, I'm continually discovering what that means by following Jesus Christ. What God intended is being realized in me as I follow Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful for the fact that when I have joyful times, I know who to thank, and I'm really thankful that when I have times when I struggle, because we all have those times, don't we? where life is just hard, that I never walk alone. That's what it means to follow Jesus. 
I said, yes. How goes your walk with Jesus today? Colossians 1.21, let's go there as we consider that. How goes your walk with Jesus today? Paul says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Two things that are related there, enemies of God, not friends, enemies of God, and evil behavior. What does Paul mean by evil? In our day and age, when we use the word evil, we quite often mean the most extreme, awful thing you can think of. That's not what Paul means here. What Paul means here is that which is morally bad or wrong. Sinful, the opposite of God. If you were doing wrong, or still are, you're in the evil category, not in the good category. That's what he's saying. You're enemies of God. You're alienated from God in that state. But what really struck me this week as I worked through the text is if you look at two things that, that hit me hard. One is, you were enemies, not in your behavior, he says. Where does he say? In your minds. Because of your evil behavior. And there's two things about that. One, from the inside out, when you were alienated from God, it was from the inside out. And it seems like the opposite of what, for instance, Jesus talks about when he talks about it. It's not what goes in you, it's what comes out of you. That's the problem, to paraphrase. But Paul here seems to reverse that equation. And I don't think they're in opposition to one another. I, I think we can follow this progression and see what happens. That your behavior can infiltrate your mind. Positively or negatively. And I'll use an example from Sesame Street here, uh, and we're going to use it a couple times. I can't show the video because, one, I can't find the specific one I'm looking for, and two, copyright. So let me tell you, I looked for it this week. There's a, it's, from this, it's originated in the 70s. It's one of the earlier ones. Where the first one is a little girl goes to the store. This one you can find on YouTube and otherwise. And she's told by her mom, you need to get these three things from the store. She gets to the store, she can only remember two, and she asks the clerk, and then they figure it out. You know, it's very cute. But the one that I can't find, and if you can find it, send it to me, is the one very similar of the little boy that's sent to the store with the three things. Okay, I want you to go to the store, and I want you to get a loaf of bread, a carton of milk, and a stick of butter. I see a nodding head there, knowing and remembering this one. It was just so, it's, it's, in my memory. I love this. And so the kids walk into the store repeating those things the whole time. Loaf of bread, stick of butter, carton of milk. Loaf of bread, stick of butter, carton of milk. And then a fire truck goes by. Fire truck, stick stick of butter, carton of milk. Fire truck, stick of butter, carton of milk. Fire truck, baseball, carton of milk. Finally, it's fire truck, baseball, cat, or something like that, whatever it is, or jump rope. I mean, he's got three completely different things, and then he gets to the store. What am I supposed to do now? I don't remember. It's cute. It's fun. But you can see how behavior could infiltrate your mind at that point, can't you? The things that are going on around you start to take priority in what you're doing and what you're saying, and all of a sudden, those things become what you're focused on, and they start to infiltrate. You know, I just got to spend a week with a bunch of 7th and 8th graders who progressively each morning I had them were more tired and more chatty at the same time. It was hilarious. They're going to be, they were at camp last week. They had a great experience. Many of you have had that experience growing up where you go, you get to hear about Jesus. Some make their first decision to follow Jesus Christ there. Some recommit their lives. They come home after this mountaintop experience. And what's going to happen? Baseball, cheer, school, 
band, whatever it is, all of a sudden all the other things in life, even home situations, come in and now the thing that was the most important becomes a little less important because other things of less priority take precedence. And they start to think those are the most important thing. They're going to go to school, a good thing, but they're going to feel those things that need to get the grades or do certain things in school are going to be important and more important than those things that were just a couple weeks ago the most important. They're going to feel the peer pressure to fit in. And let's face it, some of those things don't leave us as we get older. We feel those exact same pressures in our work environment sometimes, don't we? The pressure to fit in just to fit into the work culture that's there. And whether that's a positive work culture or negative work culture, right? Whether it's really encouraging or whether it's full of crass jokes and complaints, the behavior that's there can infiltrate our minds if we let it. I mean, I've been in those work situations that are, that are not healthy in work environments, and guess what? You can become a complainer very easily if you let yourself. I thought of it, one, one further example I thought of uh, this morning as I was working through this is um, how, how uh, behavior can infiltrate your mind. This is a bit more comical, but sometimes when I uh, do communion, you'll hear me speak Canadian. I'll say sorry on accident because when we lived in Canada, it was easier to, sp- I'm bilingual, by the way, I speak Canadian and American, but when we lived up in Canada, Stephanie and I, it was easier to speak Canadian when you got on the bus and did things with just a few key words because we lived on the left coast where people didn't like American foreign policy and they let you know it at every turn. So if you learn to speak Canadian, you could blend in. It infiltrates your mind. I still speak it to this day sometimes, although I don't like hockey, so there's that. But here, if you look at this, the progression, your enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, alienated from God, separated and distant from him. Let's just acknowledge that that's not what God intended for any of us. That's not the story we're supposed to have. And he says, Colossian church, at one time you were this. And guess what? Any of us, if you're not following Christ, you are this. And if you're following Christ before you followed Christ, you were this. Alienated, enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. If it wasn't for God, it was the opposite, which is against God. There wasn't really an in-between. And there still isn't. Paul goes on, though, and he gives us some good news in 22 and 23. He says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. He says we need to be reconciled to God. We're alienated. We need to be reconciled to God. Now, when I was working with the campers this week, talking about testimony, we used this verse, and we, we did a little uh, round of a game called Balderdash. Probably some of you played it. Most of you haven't. Most people don't play it with me because I don't know why. I love it. But you give a, defin- you give a word, and then everybody writes their definitions, and the real definition is, definition is in there, and they pass them all, and then you read them, and you try and guess which one's the real one. And if you fool people, you get points. It's very fun. So we did that with funny words, uh, just to kind of get them into the idea, but we did it with the word reconciliation. I wanted to know what they understood, so they broke into groups. Reconciliation. What what does reconciliation mean? Here are a couple representative uh, examples of what they wrote down. So camper definitions of reconciliation. Finance, spelled with an S, by the way. Finance, that's not what reconciliation is. My favorite, 
Reconciliation is a frog disease that gives you pimples and rabies. (laughs) It sounds awful. (laughs) Reconciliation also, and these are again a representative. They said it's the act of paying the price of someone else's sin. In the ballpark. How about to think about what you just did? Or confessing your sins to a priest. And those are kind of representative of everything that I got, but those are, are the, the best ones. Now, th- those, once you get past the frog disease, uh, the rest of those are things that could lead to reconciliation, but they're not reconciliation yet. Reconciliation, like we heard in the children's sermon today, is basically moving from enmity to peace in a relationship. It's, it's relational. It's to go from being enemies to friends, specifically in this case with God. That we're no longer against him or for him and with him. Paul says you need to be reconciled. Otherwise, you're alienated from him. You're his enemies. Furthermore, Paul brings up uh, the word faith here, to be established and firm in our faith. And this is a word that's culturally been ruined, unfortunately, but we can simply translate that as conviction or belief. Conviction, I think, is the more compelling word to use. But faith is the confidence in something or someone. That because we have that experience with something, we know that it will happen in the future. Right? If in the case of a relationship like ours with God, what is said is what will be done. And we know we can rely on that because God has done it in the past or similar things. That's how faith works. If it's it's like we often culturally use it, we often use it as blind faith, that's a wish. That's not faith. Those are different things. Faith is not built on air. It's built on uh, the past uh, that has been shown provable or, you know, reliable. And if you read kind of the rest of the the context here of Colossians, kind of 15 through 23, our little section, if you were to read the whole thing, you could see the faith, the conviction that Paul's talking about in more detail. It's beautiful the way he's written it out here, that we believe that God created the world through the Son, We believe that Jesus is God in visible, tangible form come to earth. That he physically died and physically rose again. That alienation from God is our sinful state, but it's not God's intended plan. And that Jesus restores that which sin has broken. That's the conviction, that's the belief that we have in him. How goes your walk with Jesus today? What is your conviction and your faith? Do you feel reconciled? Are you reconciled to him? Do you feel like you're more of an enemy or friend of God right now? Or are you somewhere in the middle? Not sure where you stand. When I think of my own story and what I presented to you at the very beginning... It wasn't that I, I in, in, as I grew up, like we all do, and, and come to faith at some point, if you've said yes to Jesus, at some point you said yes, hopefully, if you haven't, today's a great day, and you'll find yourself in the first example, perhaps. But if you haven't said, if you have said yes to Jesus, sometimes we find ourselves not quite maturing into that faith yet. So we want to be friends of God. We just haven't gotten there yet. I, I, I want, for wherever you are with Jesus today, whether you feel alienated from God, whether you you're haven't matured in that faith, uh, or whether you feel like you're reconciled in mind and body, 
but you're still working on it, of course. All and none of us have arrived. This message is for you. The rest of this message is for you. But the, the key thing about this is we don't want to act like King Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul, if you ever listen to his language in the Old Testament, he always referred to your God. Never his, never ours, your God. It's always your God. Is it my faith or is it someone else's faith that I've just kind of taken on? That's the key. That's the thing about being reconciled to God that will tell us a lot about where we stand as enemies or friends of God. And I want to start with, we can, we can find ourselves alienated from God. That's where we are if we don't know Christ. Sometimes this is obvious in the world around us. We may, like we talked about our workplaces, we may have people in our workplaces, in our families, who it's just obvious that they're far from God and their actions really show it and reveal it. You know, we don't, maybe don't want to describe them as evil, but the behavior sure seems contrary to God and could be described that way. Whether they're just people who are, are dirty or mean, they just, they don't line up at all. But when we're around those people, and, and even if you are in that category of some of you who is alienated from God today, like that example from Sesame Street of the kid going to the grocery store, he forgot why he was going by the end, but he still made it to the store. And I still think that inkling is in everybody, even those who we would say are evil. That inkling is in everybody that there's something deeper that we're missing. People want to be connected to something deeper. I mean, the research continues to show that, that people, humans, hate it when things happen and they can't find a compelling why. Why? Because I think God created us wanting something more and wanting something more out of this life and what's to come. People know they have a greater purpose than self-satisfaction. They know they have a greater purpose than power and money and sex and identity. When they're alienated from God, they simply lose track of that. And if we know Jesus Christ, by the way, it's our task to be in the business of helping them find that purpose. But when people are living like that, when they're alienated from God, what's wrong gets presented as okay. It's just fine. They find ways to justify it. So I'll give you an example from this week. I'm talking to a, a middle schooler going into eighth grade. Had some great conversations with this guy. Pray for him. That's all I'll say about his past. But, but as we talked, he was a talker. He needed someone to listen. I have the spiritual gift of listening, so I listened. I asked him some key questions um, just to kind of get the conversation going. It didn't take much. He was going a mile a minute in his conversation. And at one point, he starts talking about, I'm, I'm like, well, what do you like? Well, I like video games. Okay, what are you playing right now? Well, I'm playing GTA 5. It's a horrible video game. I shouldn't be playing it. It's terrible, but, but I really love it. I can't stop playing it. I gotta do it. And he goes on, and there's missions, and then I can do it, and then you get to all this money, and then you can play it forever and ever, and then GTA 6 is coming out, and then I'm going to play that, but it's a horrible game, I'm sure, but I'm going to play it anyway. And he keeps going on, and I can't get a word in edgewise as he continues to say that, but can you hear what he revealed in this? And I would suggest that if you talk to someone alienated from God who, who doesn't know but knows that there's a deeper point and purpose in life, they're going to reveal this too. He said, I know it's wrong, but I still play it. You know it's out there. You know that we have plenty of people in our lives who are doing things that they know are wrong, they're trying to justify them, and they need the deeper story. They need Jesus. They know it. They know they need something more. Some of us maybe aren't alienated by God, but we're, gonna, we're in the category of 
and I'm not questioning anybody's salvation by saying this, I'm, but I'm saying this is that in-between zone where we're, we, we kind of are working it out and maturing in faith. So it's, it's kind of got a wide breadth, but we're reconciled, I'm using it in quotes, by behavior. That is, we see the benefits of the Christian life. We even like the benefits of the Christian life, but it's not really become our true identity. Faith is not a conviction, it's an add-on. And some of us can be in this category where we know the basics of the faith in broad outline, but we really don't know the specifics, actually. Paul, or not Paul, excuse me, James, in 1, 5 through 8, talks about the dangers of what this looks like. It'll be on the screen. He's talking about asking God for wisdom, which, do that, ask God for wisdom. But he says, if any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And I would suggest, it's fine to doubt, by the way, if we have a conviction, we can sometimes wonder, is that right or wrong? I need to investigate. Okay, that's fine. That actually goes along with faith. It's when we don't actually know and we're kind of living this double-minded life. That's why I like the language that he uses. Where we want the things of Jesus, but we kind of could be swayed to other things just as easily and still kind of keep the veneer of Jesus there. What does this look like in, in practical terms? I've got a few examples here. This looks like something like moralistic therapeutic deism, which is, is the most popular religion in the country. That is to say, God is real, the belief that God is real, but he's pretty distant. We don't really have any interaction with him in our day-to-day lives and don't do anything with him. He created, but he's not really all that involved, and we don't act like he's that involved either. We don't pray that much. We really, you know, kind of gather together or whatever, but we acknowledge God when it's convenient and not when he's not. People are supposed to be good or moral, and that's kind of the, the basics of it, and we should strive to be happy. That's the goal of life. And if we're not, then perhaps something is wrong or something's wrong with God or whatever, and good people go to heaven. That's moralistic therapeutic deism. And there are an awful lot of people, I think, who if you ask them to describe Christianity, that's something like what they would describe, which is not what we believe. In this category as well, if you're reconciled by behavior, uh, you run into people who will talk more about religion in general, broad terms, than about Jesus or anything specific. Uh, I don't know about you, but I follow Jesus, not religion. So that's, it's more specific than that. Uh, you also run into people who are spiritual, and religion is a component of their life. So this actually is what Paul's writing about in, in Colossians. He's writing about kind of a dualistic thing, dualistic nature that's coming up where people can kind of believe one thing and do another. Um, that's also not what we believe, but that's sometimes how this plays out when we're reconciled by behavior, but it hasn't infiltrated our minds. We can give lip service to the things of God and, and lip service to Jesus, but then compartmentalize that. And we compartmentalize other things and we can do other things because that's not spiritual, that's physical. And we can also, if we're reconciled by behavior alone, then we can actually function in a way that kind of functions in, even in church life, like peace and love are the most important things and what's right and true is kind of a separate, gets pushed to the side but those things shouldn't be pitted against each other. They're together. The danger of this, 
if, if we kind of have the, the attitude that reconciliation in Christ is just kind of the behavior of the Christian life, don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do and just be happy, is that this level of faith looks to Jesus, but it relies on the faith of others to sustain it. And that's unsustainable. We can be swayed by all kinds of other beliefs around us, other beliefs that are contrary to Christ and to God's ways. That would be in the evil behavior category, but look okay. And the problem is that the initiative to believe in Jesus in this case is just initial. It doesn't go beyond that. It's a faith that's got shallow roots yet planted in good soil, and those roots need to grow. Instead, Paul says you need to be reconciled, and it needs to be in your mind and your behavior. This is a pathway that, if you were to be challenged to explain your faith, could explain not just what, but some of the why of what you believe. Again, Colossians 1.22, Paul mixes metaphors here, and it's subtle. He says, Now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. First metaphor and free from accusation. Second metaphor. He's in different lines of thinking there. To present you holy and unblemished. And the sacrifice of Christ's physical body right there. That reconciliation. He's using uh, temple sacrificial language all of a sudden to talk to us about the fact that Jesus was the great high priest who also was the sacrifice. In the sacrificial system, you can read about it in, I don't have the verse queued up, but Leviticus, I believe, is where it is. It might be Deuteronomy. You can check me later. Um, but you can read about the qualifications for being a priest in the sacrificial system. It's purely physical. It's the job of a butcher, functionally, and you need to be able to physically do it. And you need to be without blemish as, a, as both the priest and then the sacrifice needed to be without blemish. Jesus himself is the priest that comes as God without blemish and the perfect sacrifice as a human who never sinned without blemish. You and I couldn't be put on that as that sacrifice because we are with blemish and we needed God to fix it. So Jesus is the one who comes as priest and sacrifice so that we, could, we are no longer alienated from God but reconciled. And Jesus sets us right with God through this process. He sets us right so that we can have our true value to be holy, to be godly again, so that we can have our true meaning to be God's children, part of the family and looking like it. And then he uses this other metaphorical example of free from accusation. Now he's using courtroom imagery. We live in this world of sin, yet we're free from the ultimate penalty. No one can accuse us now of living under the curse of sin and living into it. We live in a world that's under that curse, but we are not part of it. We have new life as part of a new people. Death is not our hope. Life is. And this sets us up for our purpose to live as God's own, doing God's work in this world, knowing he's in control and has a better hope and a future for us in eternity. We know if we live this way, we haven't fully arrived. None of us have a mind uh, and body fully and completely in line with Christ yet, but if we say yes to Jesus, he's working on it. We haven't arrived, but we are on that path when we allow our minds to be reconciled. 
to Christ. Many of us are walking to the store, and in fact, all of us are going to get to the same place, the store at the end, not salvation, the same place, the store. Some of us know what's on the list, and some of us have no recollection when we get to that point. But everybody knows they're supposed to get to the store in some way, I think. The unfortunate reality is only some are going to stand in glory with God, and others aren't. We need to be reconciled. And that means we need to get curious about Jesus. If we're going to be established and firm in the faith, like Paul is talking, to be reconciled, if you don't know Jesus, stoke that curiosity. Pray. Let's talk. And stoke a curiosity in Jesus, not just religion. Religion is a cover when we talk about it that way. We want to talk specifically. Discover real hope. Discover the firm and steadfast faith that we have in Jesus Christ in his physical death. Paul brings it up specifically. You can actually research this stuff. Jesus really existed and still does. And it brings reconciliation in the real world. It's not just spiritual. It's the world we live in. For many of us, though, Perhaps we're in the, the stage of we need to just grow in maturity more, to put on the mind of Christ more than we have. And if that's the case, discover why you believe, not just what. Go deeper and let those roots grow. I, uh, I follow Jesus Christ, but I was also called specifically to be a pastor within the church. And I think it's a tremendous blessing that I get to study God's word for my job. That's not everybody's benefit. Not everybody gets that. But I will tell you this, my life with Jesus Christ has changed because I get to do that. And I commend it to you. Carve out the time to study, not just devotional. Do that too, but study God's word. If you're not part of like men's or women's Bible study fellowship, join that. Do something that will get you into the word in a deeper way. And if you say, I, I, don't, I can't do that, you know, for whatever reason, okay, memorize God's word. It's, it's, as good as studying it, as it turns out. It's remarkable. But also, one, one other thing I want to point out, and I, and I know we're at the end, end of our time here and we need to sing one more song, and we're good. We, it's a beautiful morning. Um, the last thing I want to say is, is a challenge to some of us where, where we find ourselves static in our faith and stuck. It might be time to level up, actually, the activity that you have with other believers. That is to say, to find a way to mentor someone who's not as far along in the faith as you, to teach, to volunteer in some way, and I'm not just saying that because I want more volunteers in the church, but to volunteer in some way, I'm saying this for your development in, in your growth in Christ, because when we're challenged to do more in those different ways, we actually grow in our relationship with Christ. Let's, uh, I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to pray at this point, and We'll sing our final song and we can have some coffee, but get curious about Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you've made a way for us not to be alienated from you and enemies, but friends. And we lament the fact that there are a lot of people who will go through life not knowing the shopping list and get to that final day of judgment. 
God and they'll be separated from you. Don't let that be our reality, and don't let us be content with our neighbors having that reality either. God, may our mind and our behavior be reconciled because your son Jesus physically came, physically died, and physically rose again and can change us, body, mind, and soul, to transform us to be holy in the image of Christ. Make that our reality today. Amen.